0: Morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. Middle school students, you guys are free. You have found freedom uh, to be released to your middle school stuff. Um, my name is Kevin Sampson. I'm uh, the lead pastor here at Renewal Church. It's great to see you. And I, I really, man, I I hope more than you know being entertained or. Uh, finding something that's enjoyable this morning. I hope you experience the freedom that is yours in Jesus Christ. Um, I, yeah, that just what we're singing about becomes—it's it, true, but but just may it become real in your life. Um, that's why God brought you here. So if you're somehow, you know, feeling like following Jesus is just a pain, he's just gonna ruin your life man, I really hope you begin to see and experience something different because that's been my story, um, that I had the greatest fulfillment, the greatest joy, the greatest satisfaction, uh, really the greatest freedom I found is when I finally gave my life to Jesus Christ. Um, And it's been uphill ever since, or downhill, whatever, it's been better. Um, Jonah chapter four. And uh, um, we're gonna finish our our series here on the book of Jonah. So follow along as I, I dive in here. Um, To Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry, the scriptures say. Let me me just take a step back just to kind of remind us of uh, how we got to this place where, where Jonah's pointing his finger at God, saying, No, what you did is wrong, and I'm mad. Um, so remember, chapter one, God speaks to Jonah. Uh, chapter two, uh, Jonah speaks to God, and then in chapter three, um, God gives Jonah a second chance. He's a God of second chances, and and Jonah obeys. He follows through. He goes to Nineveh, this to, to these people he hated, and and uh, and he preaches a, a sorry sermon, and the place repents. I mean, it said. The entire city, 120,000 people and even the cattle. They all uh, repent and, and the Lord uh, relents of the disaster that was uh, destined for Nineveh. And that's, uh, it really was, it was, arguably could have been the greatest revival in the history of the world and now that's right on the heels of the end of chapter three and now Jonah sees this and that's when he says, uh, but to Jonah this all seemed wrong. And, and really, this word wrong here is he's saying, it, it's actually literally means evil. So God, for you to relent of the evil uh, towards the Ninevites and, and for the Ninevites in their evil to repent of that and then to ask God for mercy and for God to actually extend mercy, um, Jonah says, look, that is evil, and it made him angry. Verse two, he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. I knew that you were a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. The Lord replied. Uh, at this point, I'd, if I was standing near Jonah, I'd be like... <laughs> well, look at, listen how the Lord replies. He says, is it right for you to be angry? But Jonah, he goes out and he sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. So Jonah, look, he, he, goes, he goes up on a hill, and he's like he's like, hey, you know, maybe there's disaster still going to come to this place. And so he kind of made a little shady area and got a front row seat, and he's just praying for fire to fall from heaven on these people. So that's where Jonah's at. Verse six, while he's sitting there, the Lord God provided this leafy plant and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. I mean, it's a hot day and uh, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at the dawn of the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's bald head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, "'It would be better for me than to die, than to live.'" But God said to Jonah, look, again, Jonah would be like, dude, you sit over there. I don't know what's gonna happen. God says, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, Jonah said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead the third time. The Lord said to Jonah, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it, you didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight, it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from the left, and also many animals, so God leaves Jonah with a question, and he really leaves us with a question. The question that I want to start with, has you, have you ever seen a child throw a temper tantrum? You ever seen that? I was at the grocery store a couple weeks ago, and um, I walked by the candy aisle, and, and, I, and as I walked by there, there was this two, three-year-old girl, and she was pitch in a fit. I mean, she was screaming. She was yelling. She was at one point. She was holding her breath. She said, "Mom, I hate you. You're mean. Give me that. I want that. I don't want that." And the mom's just like, you know, just kind of walking around. I mean, if you've never been there, you've seen it. and If, or if you've been in that situation, you know what you want to do. You want to just, you know, what you want to do. Um, <laughs> but you know, you're in a grocery store, so you can't do that. And so, you know, I'm kind of. <laughs> It's, it's, I'm feeling for this mom, but I'm seeing this temper tantrum take place. And, but what we see in Jonah 4 is it's a temper tantrum. I mean, Jonah's thrown this full blown, you know, adult looking temper tantrum. I was actually, I was starting to look into, I Googled adult temper tantrums. And uh, there's actually uh, a, this condition that's called um, intermittent explosive disorder. And, and supposedly, like, one out of 20 people have it. And uh, it, it's really, um, it's kind of, the reason people get, get the... Don't, don't poke the person next to you. Um, so I don't know how many people are in here, but there's at least a couple of you who might have it. Um, <laughs> So intermittent explosive disorder, but the reason that you, this condition exists, or this, this disorder, this disease, if you want to call it, is because a person feels like they don't have control. So Jonah, look, he, he just, God isn't going to do for Jonah what Jonah wants him to do. And so Jonah, he crosses his arms, he doesn't have control, he digs in his heels, and he puts on this, really, this pouty face, Look, he calls God evil. No, you're, no, you're evil. I mean, he, and then he, he throws scripture in God's face. I, look, I knew, I knew it. That's why, this is why I ran the, the, the first place. I knew you were compassionate. And I didn't, I knew it. It's from Exodus 34. It's like one of the most commonly quoted verses. And throwing that back in his face, in three separate times, I would rather die than live in a world where I don't get what I want. I mean, it's a full-blown temper tantrum. And look, we, we I, yeah, we can uh, unpack Jonah's issues, uh, but, but the first thing I, I want us to see here is uh, every Yom Kippur, anybody with some Jewish roots or anything? Uh, Yom Kippur is the—it's a Jewish holiday. They, it's uh, translated the Day of Atonement, and it's still celebrated. So Jews will go to the synagogue, and during this Day of Atonement, and it's a day where they they really come to God and ask God for forgiveness, and and they do this every year. And when they when they celebrate this day, and they actually read through the Book of Jonah, and at the end of the Book of Jonah, they all say, "We are Jonah," and, and so look, a, a, as much as you know, if we could unpack Jonah, and look, we really are unpacking ourselves And when we do that, but we're just like Jonah. But before we look too much at Jonah, the first thing I want us to see here is how God reacts to Jonah's angry, accusatory, childish outbursts. Look, when, whenever you read the Bible or you're studying Scripture with friends or with people, the first question we should always ask is, what does this teach me about God? And I don't want to let Jonah's temper tantrums like distract us from just something incredible we see here, because when we ask this question, what, is, what do we see God doing here? What does this teach him about teach us about God? We can't help but see just the patience and the mercy of our God. At every turn throughout the book of Jonah, and especially here when Jonah's heart is just oozing, whatever it's oozing, at every turn, God has chosen to exercise mercy toward all people. I mean, the whole reason Jonah is angry is because God is merciful. I knew you were, uh, that you are a merciful, a gracious, a compassionate God. I knew you were slow to anger, abounding in love. I mean, what a, what a criticism. I mean, and look, the, even in that, that's a, it's a quote from Exodus 34, where actually the Israelites were on the, the base of Mount Sinai. They had already just received the command that you shall have no other gods before me, and they're making golden idols and they're bowing down to them. And in the middle of that, God says, I'm going to, you know, like, these aren't my people. They're Moses, they're worshiping other gods. In the middle of that, Moses says, I know you, God. And he pleads for mercy on their behalf because Moses knows he's, he's going to get it. And so even when Jonah knows, Jonah knows that story, he knows what that's from. Jonah knew when they were going to go to Nineveh that God wanted to show mercy to him. And now here's the whole, the whole reason. Now Jonah himself is in the middle of this fit. And the, God doesn't strike Jonah down dead in the middle of this whole thing because God is again showing himself to be merciful. I mean, do you you see how God responds to Jonah's accusations? I mean, God responds with patience and with exposing questions. Jonah, is is it right? Is it right for you to be angry? Verse 11, when God says, should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh. And this word concern, it's this, it's actually the same word that's usually translated compassion. It's not right for, for my heart to go out towards people who don't know their right hand from their left. I mean, they don't, they don't, they don't know. I mean, they're just living in their own filth. Is it not right for me, Jonah, to extend mercy to them? Is it not right for my heart? to be intertwined with them, and it's not right for me to be present and to be gracious. And look, God's not necessarily looking for an answer to those questions, it's a rhetorical question. It's not right for me to show concern like this? And we, I mean, these are just, just incredible displays of God's patience and God's mercy. And look, we need to see this. Because look, the God of the Bible the God that Jonah's talking to, the God that we worship, it's, he, he's not this relationally distant, cold, unconcerned being out there. I mean, God is He is over everything. And He He has the ability to make plants grow and He has the ability to bring worms to make them disappear but he is intimately involved in everything. And he mercifully enters into our world and involves himself in our lives for our good. And we need, we, just, we need to see this. We need to just let it just sink into our hearts. Let it just saturate our souls that God is merciful. It needs to just spread into our homes. It needs to just run rampant through our neighborhoods that God is patient and He is merciful and He is abounding in love. There's a, Jesus tells a story in in Luke 15 about um, some religious leaders. um, He tells it to some religious leaders, and it's about a a wealthy father who has two sons, and, and the younger son, he demands his inheritance. So he comes to his father and he says, basically says, I wish you were dead, give me what's mine, and uh, so the the father does. And the great cost to himself, he gives this younger son the inheritance, the kid runs off, he squanders it, on drugs, scriptures say prostitutes, and Fortnite, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and when he finally, he finally hits rock bottom after years of just is living like a fool, and the scriptures say, he, he starts to come to his senses, he's actually eaten with pigs. and He's actually seeing that pigs are eating better than he is, and he just has nothing left, and he just begins to realize that his father's home, and, and his father himself actually provided a, 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 his life there was much better, so after many years, he, it, scripture says he returns home, and no doubt, he is humiliated, he's ashamed, And what the scriptures say is that while the younger son was still far off, his father saw him. And those words that his father saw him, they're actually, it's it's a way of saying for all those years, day after day, the father was straining and looking and waiting just for his son to return intently. He was watching and waiting for him to return. And before the son ever returned, the father had already prepared this celebration. When the son, he returns, he's embraced by the father. It's this beautiful scene and the son just says, look, can, can, I, just, can I just have a job? I mean, he's gonna, he was willing to return as a servant and the father says, no, he, he, you're my son and he restores him back to his position as a son, and and there's this big celebration. Now, when the older brother saw this, he criticizes his father, and he criticizes him for being so patient and being so merciful towards his delinquent, foolish little brother. We see that the older brothers, just like Jonah, I mean, the patience and the mercy of his father was so extravagant, it made him angry. I mean, I've obeyed everything that you've told me to do, I've done everything you said, and you haven't done anything for me like I want you to do for me. Now, if you were the father, what would you say? What would you say to the, the older brother? I have several sons, and I've, you know, never been in this dramatic of a situation, but I've been there. And in those moments, you know, things like, do you know how this roof got over your head? <laughs> me. No, I, I know there, there is a God, and he loves you, and your dad has given his life to him, and, and look, he cares about you, but look, he uses me to put that roof over your head. You're welcome. (laughs) They just are usually like, how how do you guys eat anything around here? How does that work? I know there's a God who provides and all that, but he uses your father to somehow get all that stuff. The granola bars, the thousand of them you ate today. (laughs) You're welcome. Those, God used me to give you those things. You ungrateful... Self-righteous, you entitled, you. Well, no, but that's. But that's. I mean, look, I'm not alone in in wanting to say stuff like that, and I'm not exaggerating if I've said things like that. But this is what God says. This is what the Father says here in the story. He says to his son, "You're always, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. The patience." And the mercy of God is extravagant. And look, we are all like Jonah. We're all like one of the sons. We're either rebellious and foolish or we're self-righteous and entitled. And look, by the way, we're all like that in some way. So know which one you gravitate towards. It's really healthy. But no matter who we are like, we need to see that we cannot ever Exhaust the patience and the mercy of our God. So what the, here, here's how I just want to give us three things here. What does a life that's saturated in the mercy of God look like? If this is true, that we, look we cannot exhaust it, that we're, look, we're swimming in a, in, a, in a world of, of mercy. What, what, what does that do to us? So what does our life look like if we're actually living like that? I mean, Jonah is an example of the, the opposite of that. And, um, but, so what would it look like to, if we really believed that God was as merciful and as good and as patient as he really is? The first thing I think, we would live a life of repentance. A life of repentance. Now, repentance is kind of this churchy word, but it's basically saying we continually turn toward Jesus Christ. Repentance is this, it's, a, it's admitting that we're, we're walking in the wrong direction. And repentance is it's not saying I'm gonna turn around and do better things, it's not, it's not saying I'm gonna turn and do, be a better person, it's turning and saying, I need, I need Jesus. That's what repentance is. And so look, if, if we're living in a, a life that's really saturated by the mercy of God, we're gonna have no problems recognizing like, look, I am headed the wrong direction. I'm looking at the wrong things. I'm, I'm wasting my time in things that will not take me places that are good for me. And, and repentance is saying regularly we, we're gonna then, we're not gonna be afraid because God's merciful. We're not gonna be afraid to be like, I'm, I've, I screwed up. We're not gonna be afraid of that because we know we can always turn and say like, oh, there's Jesus, he's right there. His arms are wide open. He's had me the whole time. And so repentance isn't just something we do one time. Repentance is, it's a lifestyle. It's something we do over and over and over and over again. I remember at our premarital counseling, the, uh, the pastor that uh, was doing this with us, he, he just said, look, you guys need to figure out, there's, gonna, there's like two or three things that are gonna mess with your marriage you know, for as long as you're married. He's like, the sooner you could figure those out, uh, the better things will be, because what and then he basically said, like, look, your life is a cycle of, like, bumping against, basically, your own idioticies, you're gonna argue about, it. you're gonna figure those out, because in those moments, you can, you can hit those things, you can realize there's friction, you're frustrated, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, this is because I'm selfish, and in those moments, you could, you could turn and repent. No, we made a vow to love each other in sickness and health till death do us part. Look, Jesus, I need your help. And so it's says, life of repentance. We are Jonah. We are Jonah, and, and we, can, we can always repent because we know that the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, it always, it always awaits anyone who turns towards him. It's always there. So, the first thing, we're gonna live a life of repentance. The second thing is, I think we'll live a more open handed life. What I mean by this is look, like, you can have goals, you can have plans, you can have dreams and desires. I don't think, I'm not saying those aren't bad things, but, but you'll recognize that at the core of it all, it's God who orders your steps. God is the one who opens and closes doors, God is the one who gave you the gifts the skills, the abilities that you have, and God is the one who's gonna put it to use or not however he sees fit. Proverbs 16, we can make our plans, but it's the Lord who determines our steps. So look, we can have all these dreams and these goals and these plans, but look, ultimately, we have to just open up our hands and say, look, God, I am the way I am because of you. I have what I have because of you. I don't have what I don't have because of you. And so, look, Lord, this is what I'd like to do, but look, I, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I just, I'm just trying to, I just want to follow you. And if we can't get bitter when it doesn't work out the way that we want it to, we can't get, we can't take too much credit for when it works out in incredible ways, because look, it is God who's orders our steps. And look, as you understand the mercy of God, you just kind of understand kind of how uh, blessed we are to have anything and to be able to do anything, and, and that we we exist because of mercy. So when you begin to understand and see your life in that light, it doesn't—it's not meant to make anyone feel bad, but it's it's meant to put us in a place of where we actually look towards a great God who can do great things with people who really display great humility. So look, you live a more open-handed life. Your stuff, it's, it's his. Your time, it's his. Your talents, it's his. Your money, it's his. And we begin to, when, when you really live in light of the mercy of God and begin to experience that in your life, you begin to say like, man, it's, it's yours. I'll, I'll give it to you. However, you. however you want to use my life we part of why this is really important, I mean, we tend to put God in a box, right? We, we put boundaries around, you know, what we think God should do and what God shouldn't do. I mean, I, I've done this. When the Lord got a hold of my life, the, I said out loud, like, Lord, I'll do anything but get up in front of people and talk. <laughs> True story. True story. Lord, I'll, I'll go to the ends of the earth. Literally, take me there. I, I, I want to go. There was just something really you know, inspiring and exciting about that. But look, Lord, I will not, I don't need to, I don't need to talk in front of people. That was, that, was, that was my plans for God. Those are the boundaries that I put around him. And look what happened. So, but I mean, he, there's just so much. There's so much joy when we begin to see. You just open your hands to God and say, "God, look, this is what I've had, It's yours." So if you live a mercy saturated life, you're going to live a more open handed life. And then the third thing is, if if the mercy of God is really saturating your life, you're going to God's heart for your neighbors. And God's heart for the people of all nations will become more important than your comfort. I mean, this is part of the, what we see here with Jonah. Jonah cared more about the plant. He cared more about his thing. And the thing was just like giving him a little shade. It was giving him comfort. And God is saying, Jonah, do you care about, more about your hat than you do about the people around you? This is what the mercy of God, it, it all, when the mercy of God begins to just invade your life, all of a sudden, you just, you, God starts to give you a heart for people you may have originally hated. This is what God's mercy does to us. The actual people of the world around us become more important than any political preference to us. Now, Look, I think this is important for any day and age, even ours, that look, we talk about politics. It's like we talk about it in a way that like, there's people who live on the other side of the border. There's people who live where there's nuclear deals going on. There's people who live down the street who don't have food. There's like, what's, what happens with politics is it just somehow it it, rem, it depersonalizes the whole the whole what's actually happening in people's lives. And part of what it means to follow Jesus is to say like, look, I'm not against politics, I think it's necessary, but look, it is the people of God that are meant to invade the world to treat people like they're actually made in the image of God. Amen. And this is what happens when the mercy of God begins to invade your life, that God gives you a heart for, he gives you his heart for people in your neighborhood and even around the world who need to know him. And man, you're just, you start to say like, look, I'm willing to give up something for, so that someone else can hear about Jesus Christ. I mean, it's, it's the whole, the great commission, I mean, the command to go out into all the world to make disciples of Jesus Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This whole commission becomes more than just a command. It becomes an invitation. That look, what if What if I could, you know, put aside my preferences, put aside my comfort so that I, so that others can really experience the mercy and the goodness of Jesus Christ? I mean, those are the kinds of things when the mercy of God starts to invade your life, it's going to start saying, you're going to start doing, you're going to start saying things like, sweetie, let's plant a church. Who said that? I mean, those are the things that God starts to, to do in your life. You start to say, like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm the angry one. How do, how do I extend mercy towards the people around me? When you begin to just treat people more like Jesus wants to treat them than what you normally would. There's a, an evangelist, um, Latin American evangelist named Louis Palau. I'll end with this, and we'll take the Lord's Supper. He, uh, I love this, I, I heard him a couple years ago. He's old, old, like 80s, 80s. Is anybody, like, nobody's, in, anybody in their 80s in here? Yeah, so like way old, way old, really old. And, uh, and I actually heard my grandfather, who's in his 90s, say, say this, something similar. Louis Palau, who's just followed Jesus a long time. Started talking about how uh, one of the things he struggled with is he gets really old. He he just like he'd do these evangelistic festivals and like people would come to Christ and he's like as he got older he's like the music was just loud. It just like he's like I didn't like it, and uh, you'd see he just was processing like, just venting really. I, I didn't there just there's a bunch of racket. And then he said, but, these people need Jesus. And so I will put aside my preferences, I will put aside my comforts any day if I can in some way help some of these people come to know Jesus. That is what a mercy-saturated life looks like. So let's take the Lord's Supper together. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for just this display of mercy that we see here in Jonah. And Lord, I pray that, uh, by your spirit, you just uh, bring the mercy of God upon people's lives. Uh, open our eyes to see that we are swimming in a world of mercy. That there is grace, that there is forgiveness, that you, we can even be offended. Your grace and compassion and abounding love is so extravagant. So Lord, I, yeah, I just ask that you, you apply this to our lives You break the parts of our soul that are angry and and bitter towards you and and really bring us to a place where we'll just live open-handed lives because we get to. So thank you for loving us. Thank you for the opportunities you give us. Thank you for our neighborhood. Thank you for our nation. We thank you for this world We thank you for the privilege it is to be called by you and loved by you and to be able to share this merciful message that you are with us. Give us courage, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.